to episode 189 of the Various and Sundry Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, going live from our virtual studio, not on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary, by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who sent me a panicked text this morning, John Scott Sloat. Doc, what's happening? Well, we are doing something, I don't know that we've ever recorded on a Saturday, have we? I I don't think so. Yeah, you know, it's it was inevitable. I've recorded on vacation before. <laughs> I've recorded from hotel rooms at eight o'clock yeah. at night before, but but never on a Saturday. I don't think so. Yes. So uh you're just a busy guy. Well you want to know what we talked Monday was it Monday? About my upcoming travel schedule and that I was gone next Monday and then I yes. was also gone Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week was coming back in town and then nearly leaving immediately. And we scheduled to record on Sunday night, um, which also I don't yes. think we've done, have we? Uh, we've done one Sunday before, yes. We've done one Sunday. Well, uh, I then realized this morning that I will be traveling Sunday night because I have a meeting Sunday night uh, with, with an alum. So uh, I sent a panic text at, what was it? What was it? I, I realized it at a, about 7.30 this morning, but I think I waited until like 8.30 to text you. I think that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how early of a riser are you these days? We often talk about my sleep habits. I don't know <laughs> your sleep habits. Well, it's seasonal. I mean, um, like during the school year, I'm typically up by uh, 6.30. Okay. Okay. Um, and then, of course, it kind of depends uh, whether I'm teaching that morning or not, what the rest of that morning looks like. But during the summer, it's more like uh, 7.30-ish. And what's a relative bedtime? What's a Give me school year, non-school year. Uh, usually between 10 and 10.30. Okay. Um, and then a little bit of reading before I fall asleep. Okay. So realistically, like actually trying to fall asleep is probably around 11. So what's on the nightstand right now? What's, uh, what's sitting there? Oh, I'm reading. I, I, at that point in the day, I always, uh, it's sort of junk fiction. So okay. I'm reading a spy thriller right now. Um, so yeah, nothing that's intellectually demanding at all. Okay. That's the rest of your day's reading, right? <laughs> yeah. I get enough intellectual demanding work that, uh, yeah, a little light reading is probably uh, the way to go that late at night. So, but uh, if you would like to get in touch with the show, you can reach us on X at VNS Pod. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube. We'd love for you to leave a review and a five star rating. Which have you have you checked? I haven't checked in forever. Whether we've I gotten checked any. like a week or two ago, there was nothing new. Okay, all right. I appreciate you checking in like that. Yeah, I I normally well when we're sitting in the studio, I'll open up the podcast app periodically and just check mm-hmm. to see if there are any are any uh, reviews, and there, there hasn't yeah. been. Yeah, you know something we need to start thinking about is what we're going to do for episode 200. We're like 11 away. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And when's that going to fall? That's- so 
that's going to put us in uh, November. What week in November? Second week? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't I don't have a calendar in front of me. So, I mean, let's see. 90, 91, 92, 3, 4, 5, 6. I think like the second week in November. Well, what, what are the dates on that? Uh, oh, goodness. Uh, I think we're looking at like... Drop on the 14th? I think so. Again, I, I'm, I'm doing this very quickly uh, and looking at the count. So it might be a week before or a week after. That, that That's actually a terrible week for that to happen because I think that's the week. Is that ETS? Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. preaching in Ohio. I'm preaching in Pennsylvania that, that prior weekend. So the, the 12th, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. We'll figure something out. Yeah. We'll, 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 even if we got to record on Saturday, we'll figure yeah, something e- out. Even if. Even if, even if you're in Pennsylvania and I'm in San Antonio, we'll figure something out. That'd kind of be fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Though I'll be pretty busy between doing a paper at ETS and a paper at SPL. So I'm not sure I want to try to squeeze in a sure. an episode, but in any we'll case, do what, we'll do what we have to do. We are, we are dedicated. I mean, we're this close to getting to 200 episodes without missing a week. We can't stop now. I mean, yeah. Maybe we get to 200 and we reevaluate, but... Uh, Maybe we take like a, a couple week hiatus after 200. We just sort of... I mean, I, I would not be opposed to taking a holiday break. We could we could do like a... Like, like okay, so the Christmas break. We could do some rebroadcast, bring back like the interview with Dane Ortland, you know, for, for yeah. that. And that would be an option. Yeah, yeah. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. All right, John, uh, let's talk some sports. Um, I think probably at least on my radar, probably the biggest thing is just the start of NFL preseason. Yep. That's the biggest not, thing right now. Not, not that I'm, you know, uh, watching a ton of NFL preseason. I did see uh, a little bit of the Texans and Patriots because CJ Stroud uh, got his first uh, taste of live NFL action, I guess. Okay. Um, so, I mean, he played like two series and that was it, which, which that's, that's the thing. Like at this stage, the starters play, if the starters play at all in, in game one, it's like two, oh, yeah. maybe three series. And then they're out of there. Yeah. Yep. So have the jets played two games or one at this point? Uh, so today is Saturday. They kick off in like two hours. Okay. So and I can't even remember who they have. Maybe maybe Carolina or maybe that's who they were practicing with this week. And uh, they are, did play they did play the Browns at the at the Hall yes. of Fame game. Yes. And are you going to watch said game this afternoon? Uh, no, no, I'm not. Okay. But partly, mostly because I I don't get NFL Network. You know that's that's not a channel that I get. Yes. I mean, you know, you still have access to my YouTube TV account. Do I still have access? You know what? I think I have access to my dad's YouTube TV account as well. I could probably yeah. find a way to finagle my way in. So, Well, and now YouTube TV offers. I don't have it. Maybe your dad will get it. He does. He has o- it. And, offers Sunday so, ticket. Yeah. And so we think I can log into his YouTube TV account from here and get all those games. You should be able to do that. Yeah. That's, that's my understanding. I need him to send the invite over. So... This will be like life transforming for you. 
Yes, yes. I am a different human after, uh, when the season starts. Yeah. <laughs> well, but even just getting to actually watch the game as opposed to just following it on your phone. Yep. Yep. That's been life for so long, watching that little ticker go by and <laughs> yeah, forget what they look like in pads, you know? There you go. Um, so uh, speaking of uh, preseason, uh, have you watched Hard Knocks? So there's one episode out right now. I have watched that one episode uh, of Hard Knocks. So okay, yeah, yeah. Have you ever watched Hard Knocks? Uh, no, I haven't. I mean, okay. I know what the con- I know the concept, but yeah. So it is they they zero in on a particular team's training camp. They're filming practices, uh, and of course, it's done by HBO. So it's it's a very high level. Uh, video and just really artistically well done. They normally focus on a few players and different uh, mm-hmm. different things like that. And so you get a lot of interesting stories, funny moments. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, what would you assume the Jets' first episode of Hard Knocks is about? Who do you think takes the cake? Well, it's got. I mean, I I, I can't imagine it not being Aaron Rodgers. It's 100% Aaron Rodgers. He's probably 70% of the episode. And um, so do you get the sense that he likes that? Yes. Okay. I thought so. I, I very much get the feeling that this is a rehab of his reputation tour, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so, right. So, I mean, he's they're showing video of him like, talking with Garrett Wilson and Garrett Wilson going, dude, I remember watching you when I was seven. I remember watching you when I was a yeah. child, you know, and, and Aaron going, uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, and then uh, <laughs> working with Zach Wilson on his footwork, um, you know, they did they did seven minutes on how Aaron Rodgers does no-look passes uh, and how everybody on the team is trying to mimic Aaron Rodgers' passes, uh, including Zach Wilson. Um I thought he was already doing that last year. Would that maybe explain some of his uh, decision-making process? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, So most of it was Aaron Rodgers, very much Aaron Rodgers rehab tour. Uh, But uh, there were were some great moments that could only happen in a New York Jets training camp. So all of the defensive linemen are standing together talking, and they're talking about going to a Broadway show together. Uh, And... One guy leans over and goes, I'm not getting no charcuterie board. Charcuterie? Charcuterie. Okay. (laughs) And all the guys fall down cracking up because, of course, it's charcuterie. uh, Yes. A charcuterie board, but he pronounces it charcuterie. And he does it like five times. It's really funny. (laughs) Um, There's one guy. He's a defensive lineman. They haven't interviewed him yet, but he's in like the opening credits. And I saw this on Twitter, but he showed up to training camp. He's just a, a mountain of a man, uh, something like six foot seven, 300 plus pounds and mm-hmm. not like a fat 300, but like a very well built 300. Yeah. He showed up to training camp with no shirt on uh, and a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire. Um, and they just show him walking in and su- supposedly he's just mic'd up and he's, uh, you know, he's got some aggressive things to say and he's a, he's just a big intimidating guy. I'll shoot you a, I'll shoot you the Twitter video of him walking into uh 
walking into Jet's camp. Okay. All right. Um, they did a bit. So the Garrett Wilson featured prominently in episode one. Yeah. Uh, and his battles with Sauce Gardner in camp, which are incredible. Yeah. Uh, really impressed with Garrett. Uh, very, they were with him in the car as he's driving into training camp and he was very well-spoken, had some great things to say. Uh, and then they got him on the field and the offense beat the defense. And so the defense then has to do push-ups. And Garrett Wilson is like in the defensive players' faces screaming, how does that grass taste? <laughs> over and over and over again. Nice. Um, so he, he came off really, really well. Uh, he was doing a Dunkin' Donuts commercial at one, at one point where they're throwing him like a, a, a bagel and then another a cup of coffee, an iced coffee that he catches them. So uh, how much do you think that uh, how much do you think some of this is players playing to the cameras, right? That, I mean, obviously there's got to be some of that. I mean, I'm not saying they take on completely different personalities, but surely that plays some role in, in how they act. I mean, the camera automatically changes things. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's impossible that it doesn't. Um, yeah. Like, I think if there's no hard knocks, I don't think this guy shows up uh, without a shirt and a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire. <laughs> right? He's not showing up to training camp that way. Yeah, probably um, not. But you want to know what? The Jets also get the final cut. So they get to, you know, cut out anything they feel like is going to give something away to another team or mm-hmm. something like that. And yeah, they did talk about it being a distraction to players and stuff like that. So, Gotcha. Well... Um, I, I appreciate that update. That's going to be a regular feature now, I guess, on the pod. The hard absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they did a bit on. They did quite a bit on Zach Wilson as well, and uh, I, I assume they stayed away from his love life. Yes, okay. yes, um, and I gotta imagine there's a lot of jokes about his love life as well. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> they stayed away from those. Uh, they did not shy away from uh, choice words by players and coaches. Uh, those were. Oh, yeah sprinkled throughout uh, just about every sentence. Yeah. I mean that it, it's HBO. So that the, the uh, salty language is not going to be something they shy away from. They did talk about uh, Sean Payton's comments about Nathan Hackett, the Jets offensive coordinator um, and his time at Denver. Did you see that this last week? The no. last two weeks, he called it the worst run uh, the Denver Broncos were the worst run organization under Nathaniel Hackett. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, everybody's like, well, Sean Payton's breaking a code, you know. Yeah. Well, all sorts of stuff. Anyway. Um, well, we should probably move on. That was a long segment on the uh, on Hard Knocks. I think I told you pre-show five to seven and we, we might have gotten at least that. So, well, I told you I could do 15 to 20. So <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. All right, you ready to move on? Sure. Well, in our ongoing impromptu series on why people are leaving the church, <laughs> uh, we've got another article. I think we mentioned this one uh, last week, didn't we? I think we mentioned this. It came up, yeah. Um, uh, and this one's entitled, Why Middle-Aged Americans Aren't Going Back to Church. Uh, so basically people like me. Why, why are people like me uh, not going back to church? 
Uh, so uh, in the Wall Street Journal from a couple of weeks ago, and um, really the focus of this by highlighting Gen X uh, is, of course, um, people like me in the 40s and 50s age range. And um, yeah, so, I mean, basically the it's based on some some research data. Uh, would you like to question this research data as well, John? Or are you more comfortable with this one, with this set of data than phone location from last week? <laughs> um, I, I don't like phone location data. I, I do not like that they include attend a worship service in person or online. Yes. Like those are remotely equal. Well, and that makes me think all the more then, what would the numbers be if you just limited it to actual in-person attendance? Yeah. Uh, so let's jump in uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll see where our discussion goes. Uh, the raw numbers here. So percentage of people ages 39 to 57 uh, who attended a worship service during the week either in person or online, fell to 28% in 2023, down from 41% in 2020. So a 13-point drop in the last three years. Um, and that's, man, if, you, if you're including online, like, man, that makes me wonder, like, what is it for in person? Yeah. But anyway, anyway, let's, let's keep going. I, I have thoughts, but. <laughs> okay. Um, and then, I mean, they, they, they do have data on other age groups, right? Millennials, baby boomers, and people they call elders, which I, okay. Um, I don't know how to dis- discern between boomers and elders at this point. I, you know? I don't either. I mean, my parents are boomers. Um. Your your parents would be, they're like they're boomers, but they're right barely. they're right at yeah. the end. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay, so I mean maybe my I mean I guess anyway, baby boomers, uh, and elders, Gen X, and then millennials. Millennials have actually stayed, um, fairly uh, stable. Fa- fairly stable, um. And uh, one other caveat in here, uh, you notice that one of the people that they quote in here is Mormon, I believe, right? So it's obviously going pretty broad. Pretty broad, broad with the term so, church attendance. Right. So it is broad. Christian. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking broader than evangelical. Um, and I, I believe I'm there's a Catholic bro- later on as well. Yeah. So... Um, and then there's just a lot of anecdotal, um, anecdotal sort of quotes about why people aren't coming back uh, to church. I mean, uh, how how did the article strike you, just in general? We'll start there. Um. So, uh, well, a, a couple things struck me. One, uh, clearly, Gen Xers uh, are. Uh, reading the Wall Street Journal now. Um, otherwise, <laughs> this article does not get written, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, because you could you could write an article about, hey, millennials stayed at church more than Gen Xers, you know, d- during this time, uh, mm-hmm. with their flip floppiness. Um, 
You could also write an article about boomers actually increased attendance at churches, um, according to the data. Uh, but they they wrote it about Gen X, which had definitely the biggest change on the on the graph, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's definitely those are the people reading the Wall Street Journal, which I'm not sure was the case ten years ago. Uh, I think that's probably right. Um, so that that's one thing that struck me. The kind of stories as they went through felt like a little felt a little uh, here. Well, maybe don't hear this term right, but. Um, a little nut picky to me, right? Like you're you're just looking for like. Do Do you mean nitpicky? No, 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 nut picking. So, no, so going thought, down... okay, nut picking. I thought you mispronounced nitpicky as opposed to okay, okay. No, sort sort of my, looking my for sort of looking for people that are like, well, you know, I used to be at a Southern Baptist church, but I hate their stance on women in ministry. Yeah, and therefore I'm gonna I'm leaving this church and I'm going to my. Episcopalian church that does right. XYZ, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I mean by not picking, like going after some of the more severe or more vocal or more in, not insane, but, but kind of well, vocal individuals. But you, but you know how these, you know how these anecdotes happen, right? I mean, a reporter often on Twitter now will mm-hmm. say, Hey, I'm writing a, I'm writing a story on fill in the blank. If you have something you'd like to say or have an interesting perspective on it, reach out to me. So, of course, the only people who do that are people who have a typically have a strong motivation to talk about the subject. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a little bit of that, right? I mean, just inevitably, it's not like it, you don't get the impression that this reporter was probably just kind of randomly walking the streets of some town and like. Hey, do you go to church? Let's talk about what, why you don't anymore or why you don't go as much, you know, that kind of thing. So pounding the pavement, doing old yeah. school journalism. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No. Right. Um, so, uh, well, what do you make then of some of the reasoning given by uh, people no longer attending either at all or as frequently? Um how would you classify some of the the different responses that they? Oh my goodness. Um, there, there's sort of like the response that, uh, well, you know, this doesn't actually determine my faith. How much I show up at church on Sunday isn't an important aspect of my faith. Um, basically sort of expressive individualism for Christians. Um, if I could put it that way, do you see that one in there? Uh, yes, that was towards the end, I think, right? There, there was some quote about, I've got faith, uh, but, oh, where was it? I had it here. I believe it's the paragraph right after the graph. Is it that high up? Um, let's see here. Maybe the second paragraph. When you got faith, there you, you got go. faith. Yep. I just don't think going every Sunday makes you who you are. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I could disagree more. Yeah, though here's the thing. I, I here's my take on that statement. I mean, I, I flagged that. Here's like part of me thinks that's a reaction to um, a very common motif in evangelical churches. Something that I have said myself many times, and I think is true. That when there's this drumbeat of going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. what you're trying to get at with that is just 
attending a church doesn't make you a genuine Christian. It requires Mm -hmm. repentance and faith and a genuine conversion. That's what defines who a Christian is. But I think people distort that and are like, oh, well, if that doesn't define me as a Christian, then it's basically optional. Then Mm -hmm. it's really no big deal. And when you talk so much about a personal relationship with Jesus, which of course is essential. But if you talk about that and don't then talk about at the same time, you are saved into a body of believers that it's not just a personal relationship. If you don't have a personal relationship, then you don't have anything ultimately sure. of eternal significance. But when you talk about it like that, like well, what matters is a personal relationship with Jesus. It reinforces, like you'd said a few minutes ago, this sort of expressive individualism because it's divorced from, well, yes, I personally know Jesus, but I'm supposed to be a part of a community of people who all individually know Jesus, but corporately know Jesus as well. And I think that's been lacking in a lot of evangelical churches. So it leads to statements like this. Well, and I, I think some of that has to do with um, with the history of church in the United States, right? Uh, for a long time, uh, there was social, it was socially advantageous to be a part of a church. And therefore we had to communicate like, listen, this does not save you. Being here does not get you salvation. Uh, yeah. But now where it, it doesn't have that same social capital, uh, we have to go, no, 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 no. This is an important institution. <laughs> This right. is good in your life and, and and will change you and will shape you and will form you. Um, and, and, you know, people, people are missing that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I think, you know, th- there's, of course, comments in here highlighting um, other reasons, right? You know, reasons of things like, well, it's a busy time of life. <coughs> doing, you know, raising kids and caring for aging parents and being really busy with work. And all all those things are true statements. Um, Of course, the reality, though, is um, we make time for the things that we truly value. And if we if we stop trying to simply um, if we if we stop buying into the lie that we can have it all and um, we can do it all, then I think that helps clarify some things. Oh, yeah. And so I think, you know, you can make all the excuses in the world uh, about that. But at the end of the day, if it matters to you, you'll make time for it. And you'll therefore uh, make sacrifices of other things to do it. Absolutely. 100%. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I also think this, this takes into account, I think, I think your point about, uh, these are people mostly on Twitter who, who are, you know, uh, really passionate about their little hobby horse or like, you know, there is a Catholic guy on here who said like, yeah, I stopped going when, uh, uh, my, priest brought up gay rights um, and preached against gay rights. And he says, I'm not interested in those sermons. So I stopped yeah. going. Yeah. Um, that, that feels very online and very uh, a part of it. And, and 
that's where I think on the evangelical side, I think a number of these, a number of people moving away from church tend to be at these, and, and this is kind of a theme we've come back to again and again, uh, uh, at some of these big mega, you know, lights and shows kind of kind of churches. Um, yeah. I sat down with one of these pastors not too long ago, and I just asked him, what, what has church been like after COVID? He goes, well, we've gone from about uh, 10,000 weekend attenders to about 7,000. That's significant. Uh, that's yeah. a huge drop. Yeah. Uh, and they don't have membership, so he doesn't know any of their names. He doesn't know who they are. He just knows that, that a body's not coming through the door. Well, and I'm sure it's probably reflected in their giving. I mean, it has to be down. Yeah, if that's it's got to be. It's got to be. Yeah. Um, he didn't volunteer that information. But. Right, right. Well, you know, another point that's made in the article is sort of applying the uh, the phenomena. I think maybe you mentioned this last week, this whole idea of quiet quitting. Yeah. Um, that even those who are still going, that, uh, you know, again, who knows how the, how to really quantify these statistics, but um, volunteering fell to about 20% of church membership in March, 2022 from about 40% in early 2020. So in two years, uh, basically it cut in half. So you've got people still showing up, but apparently less willing to invest time beyond that. Yeah. I'm, I don't know how you measure that. I don't know how you measure church volunteers or how they collect that data. Yeah. Um, I got questions about all that stuff, but, uh, but yeah, if, if it is in fact that much, if it's a 20% drop, that, that is alarming. Yeah. And we've made this point before in discussing these kinds of stories is I think it can be difficult to make these sort of sweeping statements and analyses when there's such regional difference in our country. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How do you say say more? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how how do you compare experience in the Northeast and the Northwest that are very low churched areas with experiences in the South or the Midwest? Mm -hmm. Well, particularly, particularly in the South where you have um, a much more, cultural Christianity, right? Yeah. Uh, where um, sort of that it's advantageous to be, a, it's a socially advantageous to be a part of a church in the South. Yeah. I mean, we saw this with uh, the Tim Scott prayer breakfast a couple weeks ago. Did you see this? Oh, yes. Um, that was wild. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's socially advantageous for those politicians to be a part of a church in Charleston. Um, mm-hmm. um, I guarantee you, no Manhattan uh uh, politician is, you know, advertising that they're a part of a local church. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm willing to, be, I'm, and I wish the article got into this, got into it regionally, and it'd be fascinating to find some research and perhaps an article that talked about it regionally. But where are we seeing the majority of this decline? Is it in the Southeast? Is it in, uh, you know, suburban areas? What, like where, where are these things happening? Cause I'm willing yeah. to bet that the, those that are Christians in the Boston, New York, Los Angeles um, areas where, where it's not socially advantageous to be a Christian probably remained pretty steady. Yeah, that'd be my guess, too. 
because those people are committed to to those creeds before uh, before all this took place. Yep. Um, so I. I know, and I don't have any data on this. I know our local church um, in Indiana feels like it's gotten fuller <laughs> mm-hmm. over the summer. Uh, yeah, is is that your sense as well that it, that that's it feels my fuller? Yes. Um, and so that that's been really encouraging over the summer in the midst of reading all these articles. Sure. Yeah, I mean the the interesting thing will be, and I mean, again, every church does things differently, but. At a church like ours, I would suggest that one of the markers of health would be to look at how many people are in small groups, Mm -hmm. because that's a level of investment in the church that goes beyond just showing up on Saturdays or or, sorry, on Sundays. (laughs) Uh, We're not we're not Seventh Day Adventists, Um, but, uh, you know, those who are either doing that or they're, you know, Maybe during the school year, they're volunteering at our Wednesday night kids program or something that goes beyond just showing up on Sunday. It'd be interesting to know. I don't even know if our church has that kind of data. Probably not. I mean, maybe maybe they could figure it out between number of volunteers and number of attenders and all that sort of stuff. But, um, but I, I, I do think in terms of kind of application or takeaways. What, what, what I think of when I look at this article is it makes me wonder what do our churches need to be doing that in no way uh, communicates a form of legalism, but that commits the cost of discipleship when it comes to following Jesus, that it's more than just showing up on Sundays. And even if you decide, well, I'll become a member. Okay, well, that's good if your church has membership. If it doesn't, it's maybe a red flag of some degree, but or at least a, at least a yellow flag, perhaps. At least in my mind. Yeah. Uh, yep. But uh, if you if you just sort of show up on Sunday. I just wonder, are you really, to what extent are you invested in the local body of Christ? Mm-hmm. And there might be other reasons. There might be reasons why that's just all you can manage based on season of life or that sort of stuff. And it's not an automatic indicator of, you know, you're not a serious Christian or you don't believe in the local church. I, I, so I just wonder how we, how we in the church can communicate the cost of discipleship that encourages and helps people see the value of and the importance of the involvement in the local church without it coming across as legalistic or, um, you know, a, a form of, of uh, coercion, basically. Yeah, I, I don't know if I have good answers to that, uh, but I, I I think the kind of rehearsing the gospel again and again, right, Uh that it is not your works uh, that save you, in, including church attendance. Mm-hmm. However, works are gosh darn important at the end of the day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and and you know, uh, Scripture says a lot about the works that we do, the attitude with which we're supposed to do them, and and the benefit they have for others. And uh, yeah, so I, I think kind of hammering both of those things uh, mm-hmm. is 
is part of the way forward. And that's conceptually, conceptually big picture, right? Yeah. Um, I've got a couple of suggestions. Uh, One is, I think we need to make sure that the leadership of the church needs to make sure, and I think our, our church does a good job with this, of helping people understand that the role of the pastor is to shepherd and to equip the saints for ministry. That it's not like you give money to hire professionals to do the ministry so you don't have to do anything. And although most people would not be as direct and crass about stating it that way, there can be that sort of mentality of, well, I give my money so that guy or those people can be full-time, so they should be doing the work. Well, that's not exactly how the ministry is supposed to go. Yeah, it's not a long care service at yeah, the end of the exactly, day. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I think the second thing is having more of a context where there is room for testimony within the local church, both from the uh, from people who serve and can express the enjoyment they get out of it, the the growth they see through it, etc., as well as from recipients of service in the church, you know? So when youth, you know, we, we had a little bit of this, I guess, recently when, you know, we had youth, uh, we had a youth camp and we had a, a one of the uh, kids who went on the youth camp, share a brief testimony in the service about how God used it in his life. And I think those sorts of things where people can see, oh, so when I'm a part of a local church, and I give money or even I help volunteer with the youth group or kids, this is the kind of impact it has on other people. And that's an encouragement. Mm. Or even just the, the the joy that comes from, hey, I've been serving in this kind of ministry and um, it's not glamorous or anything, but it's enjoyable and it's a way of me participating in the body of Christ. So I wonder if there's more space for that kind of thing that doesn't come across in an arm twisting sort of like manipulative uh, manner, but just keeps in front of people that value. And then the third thing would be what I think churches need to, and I appreciate that our church does this. We read the church covenant, not as maybe not as often as I prefer, but at like Definitely the, at the members' meetings. Yeah. At the members' meetings, we read it out loud together as a reminder of this is what we're committing to. Um, and this is the value of it. And so I think that could be, you know, first, if your church doesn't have one of those, get one. But if you do have one, sometimes it's just sort of forgotten about. But yeah. So any other thoughts on this article? We probably should wrap things up here. Um no, I don't think so. Uh, interested to see follow-ups to these articles. Uh, I can't imagine us doing another week on this, but uh, <laughs> but interested to see follow-ups on these articles in three to five years and just see where we're at. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, too, in in connection with that, we're still at the very beginning of sort of being fully normal after the pandemic, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the most extreme of places have abandoned all of the COVID protocol kind of stuff. But 
you know, a year ago, was that the case? You probably still had a year ago some places in the country doing a mask mandate or things like that. Maybe a year, year and a half ago, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I walked into City Hall of Allen County uh, here in Fort Wayne, and uh, they were still at the spot where they had signs up for required mask, but no one was following the signs. You remember that yeah. time period, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, they're still there. Um, so, yeah, there's there's some people that are still, and, and even in that narrow cultural uh, moment, there, there's still some people that are there. Yeah, so I think give it two more years, three more years where we're fully out of that and things have kind of fully settled into the kind of new normal post COVID and uh, be interesting to see uh, where we land with that. All right, John, I think we're ready to move on. You good? Yep. Time now for this day in sports history. This day in sports history, August 15th. Hard to believe we're halfway through August uh, already. Um, 2023, 1965, Japanese community of San Francisco holds uh, Masanori Mukarami Day at Candlestick Park to honor the first Japanese player to play uh, in the major leagues. There you go. Yeah. Um, I think he was quite good, uh, if, if, I, if memory serves. I've never heard of him, but I'm not, I'm not up on the baseball history as, as you are probably. So I think he made the top 100 list. There you go. I want to say he was in like the 80s or the 90s, but I wanted okay. to say there, there was an old old school Japanese player that made the list that I had never heard of. I think it was him. Uh, 1989, in second start after cancer treatment, Giants' uh, Dave Dravecki yep. breaks his pitching arm while throwing to Tim Raines. Have you seen a clip of this? I have not. I don't really want to now it's, that it's, I know it's, what happens. It's, yeah. it's grotesque. Yeah. Um question what what sort of cancer did he have was it bone cancer was it something related to his arm or was this just i don't weak remember arm? okay i don't remember because but yeah i mean let's just say you know if you're familiar with like the joe theisman injury in football where it's yeah, yeah it's it's kind of a similar-ish thing with his arm throwing Yikes. a pitch uh 1999 pga championship men's golf uh Mad- medina uh country club Tiger Woods wins his second major by one stroke uh, from Spaniard Sergio Garcia. Yeah. Remember Sergio? What a wild cat. What a wild guy. Well, and I think this was the the tournament that kind of launched him. And people were like, oh, so he's going to be the guy that's going to challenge Tiger. This is going to be the the rival for tiger as he starts his, you know, run. And then of course that didn't materialize, but he was a very good golfer. Um, yeah, he very, was. very good, but you're right. But he's he was not only in tiger's he's, class. He's only won one major. And that was like a few years ago. Like not, you know, not in his prime. No. Uh, I will say, I do remember when he flipped off the gallery, uh, <laughs> when they, if you remember, he, he would step to the ball and take forever to hit it. Yeah, like, like the, the yips, temp- basically. Yeah, every time. And somebody screamed something at him from the gallery, and he turned around and he flipped off the whole crowd. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, 2008, am I on the right one? No, no, I am on the right You're one. Right. Okay. You're 2008, right. despite China winning the women's gymnastic team all-around gold medal at the Beijing Olympics, Americans Nastia Lukin 
and Sean Johnson go one, two in the individual all around. I remember that Olympics. Yeah. Always, always nice to stick it to China on their home, on their home floor, you know? <laughs> That's right. Um, all right. 2016. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> Anita, uh, were Lord Zuck, <laughs> it's Polish of Poland, uh, sets a world record 82.29 meters to win the women's hammer throw gold medal at the Rio de Janeiro Olympics. Uh, Han Wenuxu uh, of China, the silver, <laughs> Sophie Hitchon of Great Britain, bronze. I think that's Zhang Wenchu of China, I think. Zhang Wenchu. Okay. Yeah. Um, you're not going to try to connect, correct me on the Polish name up there? Uh, now, I could be wrong, but I think the W might actually be silent. One of those letters is silent. Either I was the w debating, or the L. I was, which are back to back at the yeah. start of the word. Uh, yeah, I was trying to decide if the W was silent as I it's was. It's either Wadarchik or Ladarchik, I think. One of those two. Because the, well, the, the CZ is like a ch sound, I think. Well, uh, 2016. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, Thigo Braz da Silva of Brazil sets Olympic record 6.03 meters to win the men's pole vault gold medal at the Rio de Janeiro Olympic Games. I think that's Tiago. Is that Tiago? I think. What did I say? Thigo? Yeah. <laughs> Everything else is right, I think. Yeah. Braz da, Sil- da Silva? Yeah, sure. Duh, All right. Yeah. So who do you like out of that group? Well, neither of those last two. Um, <laughs> my goodness. I don't like anybody breaking their arm. Okay. Um, I kind of like Nastia Lukin and Sean Johnson uh, going one, two okay. uh, in Beijing. Who do you like? Um, I... I was considering uh, going with Masanori Murakami. I'm okay with um, that. Let's do that. Let's Masanora Murakami. There you go. All right. One thing you liked. Uh, I'm just. I don't think I've mentioned this as a thing I've liked. Uh, I have been teaching a church history class at our church, and uh, it has just been a delight. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, great attendance good people, good interaction. Uh, the biggest issue I have is condensing everything I have into an hour long time period. So yes. uh, mostly because I, I, I like to go down little rabbit trails and get into world history that's going on at the same time. And that's very difficult to do in an hour. Yeah. When covering yeah. everything, but it's been a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So is the class over yet or is it still going? I have, uh, so recording on Saturday, I have tomorrow, and then I have the next week, and then it's over. Okay. So uh, this week is uh, re- basically a brief on the Reformation, mm-hmm. the Catholic Counter-Reformation, and the English Reformation, so, sort of all sandwiched together. Okay. It's about nine pages of notes um, that I got to get through. So Okay. We'll, Simple we'll enough. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. And then the following is like global expansion, the Puritans, and uh, Great Awakening. And then that's it. That's all I'm doing. Okay. 
That makes sense. That makes sense. How about for you? So I'm going to go with, uh, we had a, a, a great visit with one of my former students who actually she would have been here when you were a student. Well, no, you would have been, I'd been you, a, you graduated in 20, 13. Yeah. With my MDiv. Yeah. Yeah. So there would have been some overlap there. With, I think we uh, had one class together. Okay. Uh, this is Kim now in, uh, Kim from Chicago. So, yeah, that's yeah. right. She moved to Chicago. That's right. Yep. So she uh, was passing through um, on her way to move to Chicago and stopped in. Had a great little chat with her and uh, caught up with her. She was. Were Were you in the life group when she was in the life group? No. Okay. Never was. Okay. Couldn't remember if you overlapped with her. So anyway, she's had a uh, just a great. You know, since she left Grace, she eventually went on and did PhD work in Scotland and has been a professor here in the States and is now um, just took another job at a uh, institute uh, institution of higher learning in the Chicago area. So nice. Nice. So glad for her. And she's a very I mean, you you obviously appreciate her since she's from New York. I mean, yeah, she's, she's a New Yorker. Yeah, that's right. She's a straight shooter. Yeah. So, yep. Great catching up with her. So that was my one thing I liked. All right, John, I've got to wrap this up because I'm going to a wedding later this afternoon. Wow. Fun. Yeah. What yes. wedding? Um, It is uh, Wyatt in Indiana. Okay. You know who that is. I think so. Yeah. 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 Yeah, my son Jake is in the wedding. Oh, fun, fun. Yep. So looking forward to that. Nice. I, I'm, I imagine you've got yard work to do probably, right? Or have you already done that for the day? I did that already. <laughs> um, I did that yesterday evening. Um, and then and then I worked on church history this morning and I've, I, got, I got something to do. I'll find something to do. I'm not too worried. <laughs> I'm not worried either. All right, we have talked um, Jets and Hard Knocks. We have talked why middle-aged Americans aren't going back to church. We have talked about Masanori Murakami Day. We have talked about church history class, and we have talked about a visit with Kim from Chicago. And so by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And so all that's left to say is, until next time, Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.